The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to our national conversation about conversations about race, the weekly podcast where we're trying to figure out our way forward in the at best uncertain racial landscape where the president-elect is hiring and surrounding himself with white nationalists. I'm Anna Holmes, and joining me from the Panoply Studios in the safely blue state of New York are Baratunde Thurston, author of How to Be Black. Hey, Baratunde. Yo. Raquel Cepeda, author of Bird of Paradise. Hi, Raquel. Hey. And documentary filmmaker and reporter Fazilat Aslam. Welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know about you all, but I'm still kind of processing what happened last week, and I think I will be for some time to come. I think I said something on Twitter to the effect of, I may accept it, but I'll never get over it. But I actually think it might be the other way around, that I'll get over it, but I'll never accept it. So anyway, we'll talk about, among other things, our feelings about the election today, the spike in in hate crimes that have followed it. And last but not least, the ways in which the press has already started to uh, treat Trump and his incoming administration as, as normal. So I just want to start out with a simple question for each of you. How are you feeling right now? You know, I said before the election that I can't wait to be relieved of this constant pressure and anxiety I feel. And since that day, it has sunk its claws into my inner being and it will not let go. I mean, I feel it in my chest. I feel it in my head. I, I, my, if I just stop for a second and feel what I feel in my body, I feel a constant tension. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about what the anxieties? are directed at or or a result of? You know, we're talking about hate crimes that people have experienced uh, after the election. But for me, I keep thinking about the things I had experienced before the election as a Muslim in this country. And now those fears are heightened because I believe that people feel more validated in their judgment of me as a Muslim. Mm -hmm. I feel that... People feel like they can say things to me more openly now because the president says those things. Mm -hmm. Have you had incidents since last week? I've been hiding. Yeah. I've been hiding. And look, quite frankly, I live in Brooklyn. I have a very liberal and open-minded group of people that I surround myself with. So it's kind of hard to experience a hate crime when you live in a bubble of privilege. Mm -hmm. And I know when I will experience it, and it's when I go to the airport. And that will be the same that it's been my whole life. Mm -hmm. Every time I go to the airport in America, Mm -hmm. I feel great fear because I don't believe I have any rights there. So the airport is when I will, I know that is when I will face my, really a, a place where I won't feel safe. Okay, Raquel? I feel like really angry, but not surprised because mm-hmm. I remember bringing this up in season one of about race and about how, you know, we should take this guy seriously. And I remember being laughed at and I remember people writing in. I don't expect a lot of from people, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't expect a lot. And I and I understand, like, because maybe of the way I look of a lot of covert racism, a lot of, you know, I've experienced race in a very different way. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine this morning who has to go back to the South. And she said to me, she's mixed. And she said that her children have experienced more racism and more, you know, hate crimes in the past eight months than in her entire life. And they've lived in Georgia and Oklahoma. Because mm-hmm. what happens is if you don't look one way all the way or, one, or the other way, it, you kind of represent 
kind of a mixing that certain people don't want to see. So you get a lot of hatred. So when he became president, number one, I was like, I fucking told y'all. This is that we should take him seriously. That he's not a joke and he would end up becoming he's I think that when he's actually when it's done, the four years are done, people are going to look at him like Reagan. I can see that happening. I can really? see it softening. Yeah, I can see it because Reagan gets a lot more credit for the, for the things that he's done than he's than he's actually done. He gets a lot more credit than he deserves. And then also and I already see it. I already see all the parallels. I already hear it on CNN. I already hear it on MSNBC. I'm like, it's it's really kind of repulsive. I'm repulsed. I'm also very angry because I know people are undercover racist. I actually live on the east side of Broadway, where it's usually like, you know, brown. And now it's becoming like hyper gentrified. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at listening to all of the results coming in. And I'm like, wait a minute, what was that? I thought I heard my, my one of my neighbors crying, but it wasn't that. It was that there was a group of people either in the building next to mine or somewhere close by that were cheering. Really? Him out, and I wasn't surprised because... I'm more of a realist and like, we're all going to get along one day and it's all going to be great. And then when this stuff, you know, we live in New York and you be saying that it's a safe state and it's a bubble and all that. But my daughter, you know, and we, I guess we'll talk about that later, was a victim of, of, a, of a hate crime. And if I, I had been there, I'm not passive. So if I had been there, I may not have been here right now because I would have tried to eat the guy's face off. Mm -hmm. I'm not about like, OK, in order, I'm already tired of trying to trying to empathize with white anger and white people and trying to make them see like, you know, we're human. Don't be afraid of us. Don't be. And I don't think that goes both ways. So I'm getting a little sick and really like, frankly, tired of it. Okay. So right now, right now you're pissed and frustrated, but I'm, but I'm yeah. also functioning yeah. and I feel like a recommitment to the, what, the work that I do. Mm -hmm. I feel recommitted, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel mm -hmm. strong. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be browbeaten or, or I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. Bartine day. I feel tired. Okay. The morning after I went to JFK Airport and I got on a plane to Miami and I got on a boat to International Waters. Oh, that's Wars. right. <laughs> <laughs> and that was all prearranged, but it felt prescribed for the moment. I joined this cruise. It was like a conference on a boat. And it was odd to leave. Yeah. It was, I was painful to leave my girlfriend in the state. Like everybody's a little pissed off, sad, shocked, what have you. Uh, but it was also good to not have Twitter, to not have Facebook, to not mm -hmm. have the New York Times constantly notifying mm -hmm. me of the latest nonsense, and I have Donald Trump's tweets interrupting my flow. And I got a rapid course in perspective, and Raquel used the word recommitted, and that's kind of how I felt. I got to talk with Norman Lear, who created mm -hmm. all the TV shows you've ever loved, including All in the Family, which is very apt for this time in our country. <laughs> I got to talk with LeVar Burton, who played Kunta Kinte mm -hmm, in Roots, for mm -hmm. those who don't remember that, and obviously Reading Rainbow and George LaForge. He's, he played the past and the future, which is real <laughs> cool. Black people are part of both. And I got to talk to Carl Bernstein, the investigative journalist who broke Watergate. And I got to witness a conversation between Sonia Sanchez and Dolores Huerta. And Dolores Huerta founded United Farm Workers mm -hmm. with Cesar Chavez, Sonia Sanchez. Great writer, activist, black power person. And all this aged wisdom reminded me that this is history and we're feeling it. Like we're in, you were like, it's one of those rare moments where you're like, oh, history's happening right now. And you can feel the gear shifting. You can feel a nation and probably the world tilt. And Trump is a part of Brexit, is a part of a lot of other things going on. And the whole world is tilting and it feels exhausting. Sometimes I feel like there's an opportunity here. And there's a relief of the re-revelation of the constant truth of this nation 
that it wasn't made for the people at this table. It just wasn't. It wasn't made for... It was just made by the people on this table. Yeah, made by, but not for, (laughs) you know? And that's the truth of America that America never really wants to acknowledge. And that that denial is part of America's great power, Mm -hmm. is that you can have the best marketing department in in the history of the world Mm -hmm. and one of the weakest products that doesn't match the marketing. Mm -hmm. False advertising. False, super false, but super effective advertising. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, like, I'm not over it. And I uh, feel the most pre-exhaustion and pain for my Muslim American friends, for my undocumented American friends for whom hell has been promised and will likely be delivered mm-hmm. more than it already has. But, but the, the groundedness and the sense of historical perspective I, there's some weird relief in that, hmm. in the knowledge that dope ass art is about to be made. I agree. Continue. In, in the, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but but yeah. More, yeah, yeah. More I hear you. That pressure forges connection and community. That a state of emergency and essentially a state of war is where families can get stronger, mm-hmm. and that we have built a really bad system. We've told a false story, and we got to write a new thing. And it's not going to be easy. It may not even happen in any of our lifetimes. I mean, this is a very long journey that we're on in this experiment here. But uh, so I feel all that. And, and I wrote a lot of what I feel in this, this Vox article, which they titled, you know, I don't owe white Trump voters empathy. It goes both ways. It's also oh. use your, your language, Raquel, to try to capture my feeling of fatigue, of lack of surprise, of disappointment. <laughs> I'm not mad, America. I'm just disappointed. But general awareness that this has always been the case, that Mm -hmm. this has always been the nation we have been. We were built this way. So when you say you weren't surprised, and Raquel, you said the same thing, but I want to ask you first, Cartoon Day. Are you saying that you were not surprised that he was elected? Was there really no element of surprise when you heard that he'd won, let's say, Florida? Yeah, there was an element, but I think that surprise is mitigated by the knowledge I've always had that this country is bullshit. They are who we we thought they were. Yeah, that that we are who Who we've always been. Mm -hmm. Like, we are a nation. Whether we feel included or not, we're here. And I think it's very powerful to believe in the best that's possible. It can also lead to delusion and blind spots. And some shock. Mm -hmm. But every time we take some big steps forward, even seeming big steps like electing a black president, like you don't just get a black president. (laughs) We're paying for the black president. You don't just get a gay marriage supporting, transgender rights recognizing black president Mm -hmm. without some come up. Like there's Mm got to be some comeuppance for that. Hmm. And that is Isaac Newton has this, this law of motion to every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction to every black president. There's an equal and opposite super white president. Jeb Bush wasn't white enough for this moment in American history. We needed a retweeting white nationalist candidate to come up and make white, a certain type of white person feel like, all right, this is our country. It's always been, we always had the power to take it back. Go fuck yourself. Like Mm -hmm. that's what just happened. Okay. So that's how you read what just happened. In part. I mean, I read it in many ways, but I think that's a very strong element. There's a big economic argument. There's, there's a lot of pieces. It's not as simple as just that, but I think, that was enough to put it over the edge. How do you read what happened? I guess the thing I'm questioning right now is the morality of the Democratic Party. Because one thing that I think is very clear is that the Democratic Party did not come out and vote, right? There's something like 10 million votes during Obama's election that were just not there during this election. 
And I'm reminded of a moment in the debate between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton where Bernie Sanders brought up the plight of the Palestinian people. And he wasn't talking about policy. He was talking about recognizing Palestinian people as human beings who had been suffering. And Hillary Clinton's response was to talk about terrorism. And for me as a Muslim, I see this nation as, as people who are so threatened by the other and so threatened by what people can take away from them if they are to acknowledge their own privilege, that they refuse to budge. They refuse to have any flexibility. And I see that on both sides. I see that with the Democratic Party, and I see that with the Republican Party. And the difference between the two is that the Democratic Party wasn't unified, and the Republican Party was. And it wasn't just white people voting. It was minorities voting as well. And I know a lot of that is because of things that I don't have as firm as a grasp on, like the politics within the Hispanic or the Latino, communi the Latino community. So for me, I really take a step back and say, what is the morality of the two parties that we're talking about right now? Because I don't think either side is really looking at the humanity or the lack thereof that that we're all suffering from. I don't think they care about humanity. I think like for the Republican Trump voter, they got their masculinity back. They feel like they were castrated by by accepting a black American president for eight years. And I feel like a lot of it has to do like I have not had a linear thought since the, like the election because I think all these little pieces make sense. So I started thinking about Frances Welsing, the speech that she made about, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the black male penis envy. At mm. the end of the day, and this is Dr. Francis Welsing, right, who was talking about this. And I'm thinking about, okay, now these people feel emboldened. But can you, I mean, some of them, I have to say, without the racism, I feel like Republicans did the right thing by tapping into the anger, but they just did it in the wrong way. I saw on, on, on the news people that were in their 50s who've never voted, 40s who never voted, who were really who are really moved to go in and, and vote and, and make calls and get other people and drive people to the polls because they felt like this was very important. Democrats are so highfalutin and they're so busy in their social clubs and in like in, in an academia, if you will, in a way that they stop talking or caring about what the people on the street and the people that they need to mobilize and the people that they were supposed to be representing what they think and what they stand for. So, you know, I know a lot of people who didn't vote. They're like, wait, it's not doing anything for me. And then I had a neighbor who actually lost my patience with who said to me, yeah, I'm going to vote and I'm going to vote for Trump. And I'm like, but you're Dominican. What the, what the hell is wrong with you? Well, I heard that, you know, that Hillary's sick. And I said, you're falling for these things? Like, what is wrong with you? You left an oppressive country in order to come here and live freely. Why are you allowing yourself? Well, okay, maybe I'll vote for the teacup party. What the fuck is a teacup party? Like, you got to become. Okay, okay, so so I, I, I lost my patience with a lot of this stuff. But at the end of the day, she knows more, even though she has misinformation. She's more engaged with the other side. We have we have left the corners, the street corners. We have left the people a long time ago. It was this was a very populist right election. So if Bernie would have gotten wouldn't have gotten like screwed by the by the Democrats and he would have I think he would could have beaten Trump. I don't. You don't, don't think so? Nope. I think he would have beaten him handily. No way. Because he's talking to the people. No, he's recognizing the anger from the other side. I even perhaps so, but like I don't think he could have won. I don't think he could have won. And I think the reason part of the reason he couldn't have won is because he's a Jewish socialist from the Northeast who had never had the full weight of opposition 
or oppo as they call it um, oppo. brought to bear on him and various things he's done in the past no i do not think he could have won but trump has no no experience none zero so yeah i realize that i realize that I, but i think that he would have been made into an absolute monster in ways we can't even comprehend it okay. and you know hillary did not go after him for a lot of those things and i'm not saying she should have but he was untested in a way. He was untested, at least on the national stage. And with regards to like having a well-funded opponent or and party really you know, lighting into him, he did a lot of stuff when he was younger that, like, believe me, would be catnip for Republicans to paint him as a commie pinko, mm-hmm. among other things. So I, know, I, I just don't think he could have won. But um, Baratrina, you look like you're about to say just something. So, yeah, I, I, we will never know. That's the. I think that is a more objective truth, and I want to believe that Bernie could have done it, but we just we don't know. And I think you know to the extent that there are things in his past. I mean, he never released his taxes. Maybe he's got like six Benzes in there that he never. (laughs) He did like like one year. Yeah, he didn't. He was very circumspect about some transparency elements that he was demanding from his opponent. I didn't know. Like Bernie's a politician. He he got a post office renamed. Like he's put a lot of stuff up, but he hasn't accomplished very much. Except this year, <laughs> right? <laughs> when he accomplished a lot, which is kind of familiar to a previous president that we're about to say goodbye to. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Obama was very untested. Yeah, and he right. got tested on the job, yeah. and he largely stood up, except for the drones and a whole bunch of other foul things. Mm, those, um, yeah, just pesky robot war. There's something you said, Raquel, that I want to echo, and in a different way. I think people are full of shit. I think people don't actually believe things very much. I think we move with what's around us. Mm-hmm. I think we find our norm based on the spectrum that's available. Mm-hmm. And you see it in evangelical endorsement of a serial philanderer. Right? There's just no right. possible way mm-hmm. yeah. that everything the Republican Party threw at Bill Clinton, they could somehow accept times 10 in Donald Trump. And Bill Clinton was nasty. <laughs> right? we, can, we should acknowledge that like, he took advantage of his power as a powerful man, mm-hmm. of a young woman who he was her boss in the most extreme possible way. And Donald Trump did so much more. (laughs) So if he was worth special prosecutor and all this and that, and this is your standard bearer now, like you don't believe shit. Like you are full of shit. Yeah. As a party and as a people, I think we are all in some degree full of shit. And we, it just depends on what's available. We had bad availability here. And so that's just, I don't know. There's something, there's a, there's a lowered faith in the idea of principle when it's so easily undermined mm-hmm. by the available choices. Mm-hmm. There's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and and I'll get to it when I um, talk about the, the the book that I actually want to refer to people. But mm-hmm. um, if you look at America today, there's a couple of interesting statistics that I think would be good for us to consider. One is that since 2001, more Americans have died at the hands of their partners or other family members than in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. One in three couples have engaged in physical violence. Um, one in four grew up with an alcoholic and one in five Americans has been molested. This country mm. is dealing from a collective trauma that no one is acknowledging. And the one thing that I think I can say about the white voters is that people talk about them as they were a silent majority. So what does it mean to be a silent majority? It means that you weren't being seen and you weren't being heard. And what do people do when they aren't seen and they aren't heard? From my experience, (laughs) exactly. I mean, I have worked extensively, probably too much with 
the Taliban. I've worked with terrorists and extremists in my coverage of them in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And I'll tell you something, when people aren't seen and they aren't heard, they have way more energy and way more motivation to be seen and heard in any way that they possibly can. Whether that's voting or or committing hate crimes. Absolutely. And that's what's happening now. Mm -hmm. You know, you have these people who have been so angry and so invisible to everyone that they're like, all right, well, you're going to see me now. Well, well, I totally agree with you on that. I do, too. But I want to know, like, really, have they have they really been invisible, though? Is it, yeah. is, it, is, it that, is it that they've been invisible or that their status in society has been lessened? I find it very hard to, like, say with a straight face, you know, white males are invisible. <laughs> but, look, no, but, like, for example, I think when you were talking, I was thinking about, like, imagine if Charles Manson had gotten his record deal. Imagine if Jihad, if Jihadi John had gotten his, you know, hip-hop record deal. People get very angry. They feel like they're, because they don't see themselves as just, like, a musician. They see themselves as a prophets, as messiahs, as truth-tellers, and you're silencing them. Then they start to get angry, and it's not just about the record deal anymore. They get crazy. But why white men and why white men? It's not white, white men. men. I'm okay, and white women. John isn't white. Well, okay, no, but I'm talking about Trump voters. I think with a black president, you know, Michelle Obama came out and said, I live in a house that was built by slaves. Mm-hmm. That forces people to acknowledge, okay, I have white privilege. What is white privilege? And I think the response to that, I mean, in my experience, talking to educated, exposed, liberal people, you talk to some of them about white privilege and they're like, well, what do I have to do? Like, why do I, I have to sacrifice thing. something mm-hmm. because I'm white? It's like, well, that's what equality is. Equality isn't about just enjoying things because you have them. It's about you have to give something up. And I think people don't want to give things up. One, because it doesn't seem fun. And two, because you feel like you're taking blame for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people don't like to feel bad about things. Okay, but wait, and I think but, but, you also can remember in terms of the feeling of not being heard and mm-hmm. not being seen mm-hmm. that the media politically is very liberal. The, the acceptable values to espouse are inclusiveness. Like, it's not fashionable until November 8th, 2016, to go up to someone and yell the N-word in their face. But, and there's a, good, there's a reason for that. There That's is. good. I, I'm not saying it's not good, obviously, <laughs> but it does feel like a loss. It feels like a loss of individual freedom. It right. feels like political correctness gone amok. It feels like you're just being painted as the bad guy. Like... Worse than racism is calling a white person racist, right? <laughs> well, that's, in, yes. their est- in their estimation, it, yes. It is yes. A, it is a, that's the hate crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Why are you hating on me? I didn't do shit. I didn't own slaves. I didn't discriminate. I don't care if you're gay, I'm, but why you got to shove it in my face? Like all these, there's a cumulative effect. And I do think there's a drama to having to watch a black guy, you know, as you said, Raquel, be president for eight years mm-hmm. and then to have a white woman come right out. Are you kidding me? That one, too, who we already are pre-programmed to hate? Like, yeah. oh, hell no. Like, enough. We are going to reassert our claim. And that's what we've done. And we let you guys do your thing, and that's cool. And, you know, Kanye can be crazy. You can have billionaire black people like Oprah. But enough. Like, seriously, I don't have to take... Because it's humiliating, I think, to some degree, when you've been on top for so long, to see somebody else climbing the mountain that you're on top of feels like... They're pulling you down. But I feel like that's a character flaw. Maybe it's a very widespread character well, flaw. I but it's a human but trait, to see, though. But to see everything as a zero-sum game, if if this person wins, I lose, yeah. I think is a very immature way to approach the world. But, but the, the thing is, no one, okay, no one, though, is really articulating how these voters are actually invisible. 
They may have felt invisible, but no one is giving here's, me an argument as to how they actually how, were here's invisible. A, here's an economic, and this is something we haven't talked too much about, and even in the, the super duper too long piece I wrote, I didn't hit on it too much. I was listening to this podcast, United States of Anxiety, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I re-recommend, especially now. <laughs> but the economy is a big part of this. Healthcare costs was also a big part of this. Mm-hmm. The economy wasn't listening to a lot of these people and that their skills weren't valued anymore. Mm-hmm. And the rhetoric is all about future things they don't do. Coding, who does that? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's some coastal stuff. That is something out there. That's some weird future thing. I work with my hands. You don't have this. I'm a Walmart greeter, really? Like, that's what I get out of being an American now? Like, that's no one aspires greatly to that. And there's, there's less pride in that than building a car with your hands. And so I think the way the economy is functioning, the automation that's happening, the easy, easily to pin the blame on Mexico, but Mexico's not really taking our jobs. Mexico's going to lose all the jobs it takes. China's going to lose all the jobs they've had to the algorithms. <laughs> and that sense of lost purpose, like, that has been taken away. And when you don't feel people catering to you, when no one's talking... When, when it's acceptable to talk about transgender access to bathrooms, but not talk about white guys in the Midwest, like I can understand in someone's head how you feel like you're not being heard anymore. Like why, why is everybody talking about those people? Okay. Why are you not talking about me? Yeah. That makes well, sense. Well, okay. They feel they're not being heard anymore. And the, maybe the keyword is anymore mm-hmm. because there are plenty of populations in the United States that were always invisible mm-hmm. that did not act out in tantrum like ways. Well, they didn't have the power to. Well, right. Because well, when right. black people act out, we die. Yeah. When we walk yeah. down yes. the street and turn our back on a cop, we die. Yep. When white people yes. take up guns and claim federal land in Oregon, they get off. Yes, they yes. do. So we've sent signals about who can lash out and who can't. And okay. certainly a Muslim in America cannot lash out. No. Or um, anybody with even the slightest bit of melanin. Yeah. But a white guy in a Starbucks in Miami can. Yes. Or, or, or a bar in Brooklyn. I want to pivot to the next kind okay. of topic, which is which is about hate crimes and, and also just eruptions of, of violence and rhetoric that you know may, maybe we can't call them hate crimes, but are obviously... I think you mean um, extreme free speech. Yeah, <laughs> extreme free speech. Um, I don't know. Screaming Heil Hitler and spitting on my daughter, that's a well, hate crime. Well, yes, and I'm, not, okay. and I'm not disputing that. I'm talking yeah. about more, more about the, the guy in Miami. Yeah. But the Southern Poverty Law Center has gathered evidence of over 400 instances of graffiti and intimidation and anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, and anti-Muslim harassment since the election. As AC put it, it's a fucked up cornucopia of resentment. So, Raquel, let's talk about what happened to your daughter. Well, I spoke to my daughter the other day. I mean, obviously, I knew when it happened, that night that it happened. Mm -hmm. But, you know, something that I didn't expect to happen here, because we live in New York City, Mm -hmm. but I'm also pleasantly unsurprised that it did happen when when she was alone with some of her friends from her school, protesting Mm -hmm. and venting their frustrations about, you know, having this fear in office now. And, you know, she was practicing her rights to free speech and to protest peacefully. And this is what happened. So it was me and a bunch of people from school and we were making, you know, we made signs and my sign was two-sided. One side said, not my president, my oppressor. And the other side said, you hate, uh, you voted for him because you hate me, signed a nasty Latina woman. And so we were marching and marching and on the corner of 26th Street by Madison Square Park, I'm like walking like in the street and on the sidewalk, there's this man and he has to be like maybe 50 something, like mid 50s white guy. And he has on like a blue jacket. It was crazy. Like I remember it so clear. And um, he looks at my sign and looks at me with like really intense hatred in my eyes and then raises his arm and says, how Hitler and spits in my hair. Like spits at me and then it lands in my Talk hair. Talk about making po- a hair political, huh? Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, 
I just I feel helpless because I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm glad that you took a stand and that you continued walking, you continued marching, yeah, you continued to protest hate. Yeah, and even like after that, I was like confronted with three more instances of hate from. Were that same evening? Yeah. So, so the first one was me being spat on by this one white man, um, and then the second time, not that I was spat on, but but the second instance was like by Rockefeller Center, Radio City, like over there, because we were marching to Fifty Six and Fifth to Trump Towers, and um, this guy says to me, well, two men walk to me and, and they read the sign and they're like, you know, go back to your, um, uh, uh, go F yourself. And I was like, oh, no, okay, because I can take words, like, yeah. it's fine. And then, again, I'm walking and then three guys hear me chanting in Spanish and they say, go back to your effing country, we speak English here. And then at the end of it, when we were leaving and, you know, like, you see posters, like, everywhere on the floor and all that stuff, um, this mom came up to me. She asked to take a photo of my sign because... You know, she's a mom and her kid, she told me, was really scared by the whole thing. And she took a photo and these three guys, three white men, looked at my sign and told me to go build a wall and jump off of it. It's funny because you're born in New York City. Yeah, no, like I'm so I was born in New York City. Yeah. I'm about as American as Trump is, actually. Yeah, no, so it was like, it was crazy. Raquel, I'm sorry that happened to her. I'm very sorry it happened to her because when I found out, I really wanted to act up. Mm-hmm. Because I am not a passive, I'm not, you know, I don't believe in passive resistance. Mm-hmm. I sent this to you on Slack, Raquel. I want all the listeners, like, you raised an amazing young Thank woman. You. <laughs> Thank you. To continue in the face of that, that's just what people have done. Yeah. From Like, that's humanity in the face of very inhumane behavior. And I think you should be proud and your partner should be proud for, for what you made. And like you made a great contribution to our city, to our state, to our nation, to the world. And I'm just like, I'm disgusted by the behavior of the yeah. ignorant people, but I'm impressed by the superhuman mature response uh, of your daughter. Well, I thank you for that, but I, I'm still kind of taken aback because yeah. she's my baby. She's my daughter. Like an, adults are doing this. Mm-hmm. Adults that are supposed to know better that have been born into privilege that have privilege that, and then you know the the girls that that had the swastika painted on their dorm are friends of hers. Where so where was like that in the new school at the yeah, new school? Mm, okay. So it's like it's just unbelievable the tantrum throwing. I have yeah. no effing patience for it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, listeners, I had warned our our guests before we started that I have to run out to go catch a plane and that we I might have to bring it up on the air, so to speak, if we if we went a little bit longer, and we have. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to transfer duties. Transfer power. Transfer. Tra- peaceful transfer, transfer, a peaceful power. transfer of power to Baratune Day, <laughs> who, can, who can continue the conversation with everyone here at the table and kind of wrap up everything at the end. So, absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on uh, the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having and I hope me. We'll, and we'll, we'll talk soon. <laughs> okay. All right. Fly safely. On this hate crime reboot that we're experiencing Fazilat as a Muslim in America. Muslims have been more tolerably bearing hate crimes since 9-11, at least. And how do you respond as a Muslim, or however you respond, but to this hopefully temporary but certainly significant spike in outward expression of violence 
We're talking about the hate crimes that have been occurring since the election, and there have been. I've been hearing about women's um, hijabs getting ripped off, people being told to go back to their country, which I was actually in February to go back to my country, and I was like, I don't want to. I I like New York. Um, (laughs) The thing is, no one talks about the hate crimes that Muslims suffered after 9-11. No one talks about the hate crimes that Muslims have been suffering in this country since then. So the fact that we're talking about them now, I think it's because there's a more diverse group of people that Trump and his followers have targeted that hate against. And I feel really emboldened by the support, at least, the people that are unifying under this. And I think it's great. I think it's amazing that um, Jewish and Muslim communities are coming together under Trump's hate. I think it's wonderful that we've realized that we really have to be allies. So for me, this is actually one of the more inspiring times Mm. I've experienced as a Muslim in America because... You're not alone anymore. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much hate against everyone. You know, it's interesting. If you go on these websites, the the typical kind of alt-right stuff, of course, there's anti-Muslim stuff, but it's actually a lot of it is Mm anti-Jewish, which I find crazy. And the New School Swastika story, I actually have a friend who teaches at the New School, and she also heard about this swastika on the door. But to me, that is really incredible because Muslims are, look, they're the easy target. Black people are an easy target. But it's like Jewish people? Like, especially in New York? Yeah. It, that to me is really... In New York City. In New York City. Yeah, because New York State is a whole other... Right. Right. Whole other conversation. Whole other... Yeah. No, no, no. I remember, the, I remember the Trump signs when I went upstate. But to me, actually, as a Muslim, I'm like, this is kind of great because finally we found something to unify us as ethnic and religious minorities. And I'm really inspired by the unity. Yeah. And where are you seeing the unity? Is it in New York? You know, the unity is online right now. Yeah, because I don't... One of my best friends is Pakistani. And her family lives in... um, They immigrated from Pakistan to North Carolina. And already in their community, she had... She was in Singapore and she texted me, should I not... You know, should I extend my trip? Because her brother's friend was told to go back to your dirty country and, and I'm not going to say the rest but it was very 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 hateful so now people in her community are afraid and they don't they don't wear you know she's she's Muslim um, they're Muslim but they don't wear hijab and I don't see in the south much unity I've, I don't know if you talk if we're talking about New York City then I can see that happening there but we have to like not fool ourselves like there's going to be some kind of coalescing throughout the country that makes me sad <laughs> but I also I'm think sad that you are sad. I think it's early. And I think, you know, the South has been the heart of some of the most multiracial, consistent, persistent acts against racism and oppression. Southern Poverty Law Center, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Like these were Southern organizations largely out of the civil rights movement and religious organizations out of the South. Reverend William Barber, who just lit up the stage oh, yes. at the DNC, Southerner. So I think you'll, the Dream Defenders out of Miami, Florida. Florida is basically the South. <laughs> Uh, despite, Miami. The, despite the existence okay. of Miami, Florida, <laughs> the South. So there are and will continue to be, I think, efforts. And right now, everybody who you know never got to say all the hateful shit they wanted to say is having their moment. It's like they're, they're, it's like it's <laughs> like projectile vomiting hate. Well, it's all also, over the country. It, what's what's just the lack of self awareness, the assumption of privilege for an angry white man to spit on your door and be like, finally, I get to say what I've always wanted to say to a child. It's like, do you think? 
we've been saying, what we've wanted to say. Trust me, like, I'm by. I'm pretty I sure Raquel is not holding her tongue. Fazal, I'm sure yeah. that there are a lot of things that yes. you would want to be saying I mean, to I this country to that you can't say. Just thinking about coming on here and being on a podcast, being on a public podcast, I am still monitoring myself mm-hmm. and making sure that I don't say the wrong thing because one, I'm a Muslim. Two, I'm not even a citizen. I'm here on a work visa. And actually, the last time I came back into the country, it was a couple of months ago, I was traveling outside. And I remember the immigration officer, you could just tell it was like a horrible immigration officer. (laughs) And I got stuck in a line with only like minorities. Like I love it when I'm in in a line with white people because I know it's going to move fast. (laughs) So I'm stuck in this line. It's like brown person after brown person. I'm like, oh, God, it's going to go so slow. And I get to the front and he says, well, your visa is going to run out soon. And he's like, really just not happy that he even has to look at me. So I'm, you know, trying to be cheerful and happy and like, you know, the the nice Muslim. And I'm <laughs> like, Muslim. yeah, the yeah. good Muslim. And you know, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I hope my, my partner proposes to me. And he's like, well, let me know if you need any help. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, I'll try and convince him. And he goes, well, you don't have a gun. And I was like, wait, what? what are you saying? Yeah. And it's just like, and, and my, my point in that is that I'm a Muslim trying to come into this country and this guy on the one hand is giving me grief just because of who I am. But on the other hand, he's like, but let me tell you, little lady, like I have the power to help you if you need it. And, and that's what it's about, right? Yeah. This isn't about policy. This isn't about rationale. This is about people who want to take the power mm-hmm. back and feel powerful again. And it doesn't mean that they weren't powerful before, but the fact that they had to answer to the fact that they had a black president, that somehow diminished their power. And I think it's more of a psychological thing than, than 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 a reality, you know? So look, let's, let's shift because you talked about how this was inspiring in some slightly twisted way, but is there a more straightforward set of positive results that we have encountered as a result of this election? Like, where are you seeing any candle in the wind, uh, any light at the end of this dark, long, 240-year-old tunnel? I feel like as far as cultural producers, like there's a reason why hip-hop congealed during Reagan. Mm. I feel like there's something that's going to happen that's beautiful as far as art goes and people that I just know in television and even like in even mainstream television and 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 in public te- television and just producers in general documentary produ- producers um directors just filmmakers people who make art I feel are going to be emboldened and like I said some have become like myself recommitted so I feel mostly positive about that but I also feel super underwhelmed by the fact that I think McDonald's has done something to the brain to make it like fat and like to do something where you just not, we're not thinking. We have yeah. so much privilege and look at how many people did not vote. I mean, people used to get lynched and you said that you didn't want to wait online. People have told me they didn't want to wait online or, or the president never did, never did anything for me. I mean, come on. Yeah. That is just such, you just so disrespectful to your ancestors and to the people that came before us. Well, you, you did extra credit in the question that I asked you. I asked for positive, hopeful things, and you managed to bring us back down. Thank you for that. No, but it's not. I mean, no, you have to be real. woke. Yeah. I'm happy to be woke. I'm happy to know that people are underwhelming. Yeah. I don't want to pretend. Don't misplace your faith yeah. too often. Yeah. I mean, a small thing, the, the post-it notes in the Union Square uh, subway stop here in New York City and all across the country yes. as people, you know, copy I New York it. City and do their own thing, like positive messages, generally expressions of love and not hate. 
not my president, things like that. You can find these all over Instagram. That's been heartening. And to see if you are a fighter for justice and you lose the backing of the federal government, you have to shift the front. And so Obama's not going to be your friend. The DOJ is not going to be your friend anymore. So people you know, are explicitly calling to fund Planned Parenthood even more, to fund media justice centers even more, to fund Mother Jones and independent media even more. And that's heartening for people to remember that democracy is more than exercising a vote at a ballot. Yes. It's participating. And so to see people calling for more participation, hopefully that's sustained, but that gives me some hope that we'll remember that it's us. And if we just hope to assign it to all to Obama or all to Trump, then we failed in some way in, in both scenarios. So that's good. What about what about you, Fazi I think... And I'll go back to the comment I made earlier about the Jewish and Muslim communities. That is a huge deal to me. One, because my partner happens to be Jewish. And for both of us, the fact that the Jewish community is openly talking about not just standing behind Muslims, but saying that if there is a Muslim registration, Mm. Jews will register. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it would be great if it did. Yeah. It's great that that sentiment is out there. Exactly. We should all register. We should, we should flood the system to make it meaningless. Yes. Right. right. Great. Someone probably thought of this, but if not, let's just say we started it right here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> register as a Muslim when they when they launch the registry. And I think that's Crash what I hope will happen. And I and I think, you know, you were, you were talking about t- participation and... We're at a point now where it is necessary. There is no other choice. Either you participate or you are part of the problem. And I think it's time that we hold people accountable. And I think people want to be held accountable. You know, I think if I go up to someone and I say, hey, have you done something today? Have you done something to help the situation at hand? I don't think people are going to back down, or at least I hope people aren't going to back down. So I feel more motivated in that sense. I mean, I remember the night of the election, I was there with a couple of people and uh, one of the other women that was there, she was like, all right, well, you know what we have to do? We have to learn how to give women abortions. And I was like, well, I don't know if I was like, I don't know if I am capable of that. But if if I can donate my time or help women get to where they need to, like I am there, I am down. And I think we need to really see that there are people who want to who want to help. And one of the ways you can help is direct people in the right path. Mm-hmm. To just go add to what you were saying, yeah. I hope that we st- that we as a people, as Americans, start reading Mother Jones and reading The Nation and, and supporting the SPL Center's quarterly report and stop watching like a lot of the mainstream media because... Well, I don't know why Trump hates them because they did him a great service. <laughs> They're normalizing him like a mo. What are, what are you seeing in terms of the normalization? Because I well, think this is... For anyone who hasn't lived through a potentially outwardly repressive regime as opposed to just a capitalist systemic repressive regime, making abnormality seem normal as part of the formula. Can you talk, Raquel, about what you're seeing already? Well, I tell you, the last time I watched CNN was on the day that Trump was going to the White House for that meeting the, mm-hmm. the where, you know, Barack Obama looked him in the eye and he looked down, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. couldn't even look him in the eye. Um, you saw that photo? I did. It's amazing. And just the way that they were normalizing Trump, I felt like it was so poisoning and it was so scary that I just stopped. I haven't watched CNN since. I love Van Jones. I love Angela Rye. Yeah. But it's like when you see like how they're normalizing him and like Wolf Blitzer. And, I, and then I went and I just started, I just put MSNBC and I couldn't, I didn't see who was on, but I was listening while I was getting ready. And they were like, well, you know, I know Trump personally. He's like a nice dude. And, you know, maybe we should give him a chance. And that kind of 
talk is alarmist to me. Yeah. And then the, like the renaming alt-right. No, it's white. It's white supremacy. It's white nationalism. It's anti-Semitic. Let's stop using these kind of words to like, you know, and even like NPR. NPR interviewed, and I don't know which show it was, but they interviewed somebody who used to either be or is the head of Breitbart now. Right. And they're like humanizing Bannon. And it's like, you know, like I say, like you have to commit, even if you get like, even if you get fired from a podcast or from whatever you're at, you have to commit to not normalizing shit. Yeah. Stay woke. They don't really understand the severity of the shit that they're saying by normalizing this, mm-hmm. this guy and his cabinet. You know what I mean? So I would I would urge people, yo, stay woke. Don't I- allow them to normalize. We were talking about this earlier, Raquel. I've been in this country for four years now, and the jobs that I've held with uh, large companies, one, I left because they wouldn't acknowledge rape culture, and the other because they wouldn't acknowledge irresponsible language around the Muslim identity. So, you know, this is not the time to say, well, you know, maybe Trump will be okay. Maybe he's a good guy. He's not a good guy. He's not really a person who has any morality that I recognize. He's a little bit quieter now, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. And you can look by the people that he's appointing that the the depth of the racism and the hate, really, I don't know how deep it goes. So this is the time to really have principles and stand by them don't sell out this is not the time to sell out like this is Mm -hmm. a time of sacrifice and i truly believe that the more woke is that the word (laughs) that was adorable the way you did the quotation marks Um, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen she did the more alert the more woke the more aware let's say aware i think we need self-awareness right now and if you're doing something that makes you feel like you're compromising your morality don't do it. Don't do I mean, it. It's working for Glenn Beck. I mean, he. I don't know if we're exper- if we're witness- witnessing the the wokeness. Woke. Is he <laughs> becoming woke? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the hell's happening, but come on, man, have a conversation with yourself. Yeah. No, Glenn Beck was part of the problem for a long time. He was on Fox. He was on CNN. He built his own media empire that was very lucrative for a time. He claimed Barack Obama had a deep seated hate for the white race, like. He created conditions under which the infection that is Donald Trump could spread uh, much more rapidly and widely than it would have in a normal, healthy media culture, in a normal, healthy Republican Party or conservative ideology. So, yeah, uh, the, the normalization, I agree. Obviously, I think I agree with you. I think I would just add that Trump's normalization began when he was born and he inherited, you know, from his landowning white male father. <laughs> The idea of giving him a chance is laughable only in that his whole life has been a series of second chances that he never earned and that other groups don't get the benefit of. He had the ability to go bankrupt six times. Who gets that? That's five second chances right there. He's on his third marriage. That's two second chances right there. Like how many other, every transgression he made during this campaign, whether it's insulting John McCain, et cetera. Second chance, second chance, second chance. So he doesn't actually, we don't owe him anything else. He actually owes us. He's going to do some good stuff. I think the, it's Reagan came in, the left hated, like people thought the world was going to end when his former actor became the president. Yeah, but he and was a governor first. He was a governor I mean, first. I mean, we never had this. Donald Trump is historic, but Reagan did some good stuff too. Like Richard Nixon was a crook and he created the Environmental Protection Agency. 
Like Donald Trump might do something on that order. He might normalize trade relations with China like Nixon did. It'll be the hardest thing will be to remember how he got his power. And because it's, it's easy to say like, oh, let's give him a chance. And maybe now that he's president, he won't be so hateful. He will get an infrastructure bill passed. He'll compromise on this. Day. He doesn't even care about gay marriage, it turns out. It doesn't matter. Like he has set a model for attaining the highest power in the world that is foul. And if we all behave that way, we'd be dead or in jail, jobless at best. So we can't normalize the way he acquired his power, even if he uses it for some good, probably by accident. I mean, why did Obama even shake his hand? Like, that's where I'm coming yeah. from, right? Which might be a little bit extreme. But this is a man who questioned where he was born, mm -hmm. said that he was a liar. I mean, he has said things about President Obama that are despicable. Why did President Obama have to shake his I hand? I think he shook his hand. And I think he knew because he's like very smart. He shook his hand and he was like looking at him in the eye because he knows that Donald Trump was going to look, he's not going to make eye contact with him. And that, and that picture was going to say a thousand words. Yeah. I think he was like, yo, I'm the man. I'm talking, I've just met you. And yeah, I stand behind everything I said. And they say that when we go high, they go low. But I mean, I just sometimes don't believe in that. I have admired candidate and President Obama for a while. I think he's got this long view of history. He believes in us, despite all the evidence to the contrary. <laughs> he's like, you're, we're purple. We're good at heart. Like all these platitudes that most politicians have to say, unless you're Donald Trump. And he has to say, give the guy a chance. Like he took an oath to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution and make sure this country doesn't fall into flames the day after he leaves office or the day before. But I don't think we all have to take that that tag. Yeah. And I think being in the streets, very cool. I think mean, when you look at the, what the Republicans did to Obama with health care and you lied during the State of the Union, like all the slings and arrows that he suffered through. And that's because he just wanted to provide health care to people. He wasn't trying to start a Muslim registry. <laughs> Yeah. Right? He wasn't trying to do explicitly unconstitutional things on a regular basis. And he didn't get his power off of promising, you know, pain to a bunch of people who didn't cause any to others. So Trump is different. And yeah, we should just keep, stay vigilant because it'll be easy because he's got power and people bend toward wherever the power is. And whether you're Wolf Blitzer or Mitt Romney or look at Ted Cruz. I mean, good Lord. Talk about. Talk about a wimp. Talk about. I mean, all the. I think they castrated him at he, some point last week. He was like, like literally. He, he, I couldn't believe it. He just turned on himself. These exactly. people have no principles. I mean, I, I will make that blanket statement. These people have no principles. You can, I mean, yeah, Ted Cruz is a great example. You can insult every single thing about him and he'll still go crawling back because this is about people who feel like they haven't had power yeah. getting the power back. But you know what? Donald Trump was right about one thing. The system was rigged. Yeah. He was also, <laughs> to, to quote a comedian, I did a bunch of stand-up shows with, actually, with Muslim comics last week, and Rami Youssef would say, he was like, Donald Trump was right about a lot of things. Like, LaGuardia Airport does suck. Like, he, <laughs> like you can't argue with everything he said. Like, that's very, it's very, it's annoying that he's so evil, yet sometimes so yeah. Let's help our listeners and maybe ourselves. A lot of people go on to some awkward Thanksgiving dinners, breakfasts, sports times. How do you engage with a loved one, a previously loved one, a family member, a friend who voted for this person? Have you had any experience? Do you have any advice? Have you seen accounts of this being even possible? Or should everybody just cancel their plans and stay in their bubbles? I think during Thanksgiving, we should be volunteering at shelters. I think we should be giving back to the community. And 
I find the whole concept of Thanksgiving a little bit problematic. <laughs> um, I mean, do we even want to talk about no, the fact we, that the people, nope, nope. you know, why you, so... Why, why are you going to break up old stuff? Why are you going to break up volunteer. old Volunteer. <laughs> volunteer. Give your time, yeah. give your energy to give to people who don't have a huge delicious meal that they can just guarantee on every Thanksgiving. Well, that's that's what I think people should do. And get together with people who you wouldn't normally get together with. My family is back in Pakistan, so, you know, I have some people I like to call family here, but I think this, Skype, Skype this, giving. This, this Thanksgiving, I think I'm really going to try and think about how I can give back because yeah. I have a lot of privilege and I don't think I can rest in that as much as I used to. Yeah. Raquel, do you have any... I started celebrating Thanksgiving by decolonizing the so-called holiday. And my son is... I know I have, an, as you guys know, a 19-year-old daughter who will be 20 soon, and then I have a 4-year-old son. They gave him, like, a plate to do, and he wants us to, you know, we're, uh, to decorate this plate and talk about Thanksgiving. And I told this teacher last night, we don't do that. It's, you know, you understand. I said to her, you understand. I just want you to admit it. You're teaching the wrong thing. You know, it did not happen that way. So we have the, the you know, First People's Day of Mourning. And we have, we don't do the turkey, we do have dinner, but we have it in a very different way. You know, we don't celebrate it in that way. We'll be, you know, sending prayers, you know, to the people in Standing Rock. We'll be, you know, thinking about our ancestors and trying to really get together. Now, uh, this is a big, Mm -hmm. my father voted for Trump. If anybody's read my book, Bird of Paradise, pluggy plug, will know he's a self-loathing person. Yeah. And I was afraid that he was going to do that. And my stepmother actually was suffering through it. She's going through something that she's 80 something. I've never seen her go through. Yeah. And my father's been a horrible philandering husband. So she's going through some, through some pain. And um, she said to me, you know, if I could, if I could afford it, cause she's very old, I would leave. So I invited her to have dinner with us. And I said, if you want to bring him, okay. But I have not said a word to him since the election. And for me, it's like the day can't come soon enough where that generation of self-loathing people just go away. So I, if he's in my house, he will be treated as a, as a ghost. I can't keep it real with other people without keeping it real with myself and with my, you know, with our, with our about race fam. I'm just keeping it real with you guys. I wasn't going to say anything. I was just going to write it in my next book. But yes, it is the peace in my house is over. Yeah. Thank you for being so open and honest about that. Yes. I think you're not alone. I was in touch with a family that has a lot of family in Ohio. And this woman knows that at least half of her in-laws, their sisters and brothers-in-law and their nephews to the extent that they're voting age voted for Trump. And she's just like, I have no desire to go to Ohio for Thanksgiving. Like, I don't feel grateful for that. And it's going to sting. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. I don't, there's no magic advice for this. There is, there is one heroic effort to point to on Twitter, this account from uh, Tressy McPhD. T-R-E-S-S-I-E-M-C-P-H-D. And she talks about actually engaging with a Trump voter who was probably willfully, but nonetheless ignorant of the impact of their choices and the hurt and the pain it's already caused and the harm it's likely to. And they were faced with a bit of self-loathing after realizing what they had done. It's like, oh, what have I done? What? It's very cinematic, very avoidable. <laughs> it's very avoidable, but it wasn't avoided. I think what she did for that person could be replicated. Confronting people with the horror of their own choices is part of how I think you help people make better choices. But I'm not in that situation myself, fortunately. Yeah, I'm in that situation, so I can't, I can't, I can't agree. You guys have to make your own choices about it, too. You have 
a long history with this person. I think you have to practice a certain amount of self-care, right? Like, it's great if you want to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's very admirable. But if you need to take a step back and take care of yourself, do that. I mean... I really was not this person who was like, do yoga and meditate, but really meditate. Yeah. <laughs> do a group meditation with the whole family mm-hmm. and be like, let's talk about our feelings. Let's not talk about politics. Let's talk about how we feel yes. and why we feel that way. And I believe that people are capable of change. I think it's harder the older you get, but I think it is possible. And I think that it's time for us to try and connect with each other And I think Thanksgiving is a great opportunity to do that. And if someone really isn't listening to you, then give yourself some grace and take a step back Mm -hmm. and take care of yourself. You can't win every battle. Co-sign on all of that. And and to the people out there who are really um, like down for the cause and the struggle, Fazilad, your point is important. I'm feeling tired. I mean, that's where we started with Anna's question. I think that's the most accurate description. And I I feel a sense of pre-exhaustion. When you talked about the fatigue brought on by the election, like my outrage, I thought would peak on November 8th. And it turns out that was just a warm up. <laughs> exactly. And that's depressing. Yeah. You know, and so I've, I've been doing yoga and going to my boxing. <laughs> What's up, Raquel? And, and trying to sleep a little bit more and meditate and just rest because there are so many battles yet to come. Let's get to our final set of recommendations for anything people need to see, listen to. Uh, let's start with you, Fazilab. I have a couple of things. You know, as a documentary filmmaker, there's always visual stuff that I feel like I need to recommend. One is Joshua Oppenheimer's documentary that came out a couple of years ago called The Act of Killing. It's about a genocide and how people can allow a genocide to happen by being passive. I think it's an incredibly important piece of work. The website I have to recommend is called muslimgirl.com or .net. An amazing resource, not just for Muslim people, Muslim girls, Muslim boys, but also people who want to understand what our issues are as mm. Muslims right now. It's a fantastic resource um, and it's like a really fun website. And then the third thing, which has been really important for me as a documentary filmmaker, someone who works with people in the field all the time, people who are angry, people who are upset, people who sometimes you can't have a discussion with, is a book by Bessel van der Kolk, who is a prominent doctor and trauma specialist. It's called The Body Keeps the Score, and it is about uh, how traumatized people act and respond to things. And I think when most people read it, they're surprised to find that they have probably experienced some kind of trauma. After this election, a lot of people need to think about healing, and I think this book is a really wonderful place to start. So The Body Keeps the Score, I think, is a really essential book in uh, in America after the election. Thank you, Raquel. We've been talking about Southern Poverty Law Center for the for the whole podcast this this time around, but you know, it was one of my recommendations earlier that I jotted down because I really do believe in supporting them. They do a lot of great work. If you give twenty five dollars or more by going to splcenter.org, you'll get their quarterly report. I mean, I really love the work that they do. And um, my second recommendation is A Tribe Called Quest's new album, Kamal. Congratulations. This shit is hot. And it's called We Got It From Here. Thank you for your service. It's their first album in in 18 years. I can't believe it. And it came right on time. It may have been late for some, but it came right on time for me. And uh, We The People, the first single is amazing. Please support good music. And don't forget to dance and don't forget to laugh and don't forget to enjoy each other and be happy. Find happiness. So 
good. I should say that for last. <laughs> be happy. Worry and be happy. Yeah. So two little bits of quick self-promo. The Vox article I wrote captures a lot more. And it, I try to end on a hopeful note that I actually honestly still believe. It's just a harder note. Uh, so you can find it on my Twitter, uh, t- twitter.com slash Baratunde. It's pinned to the top and will be probably for the next few months. And then on Monday, I'm actually a correspondent in this Nat Geo show called Explorer. And I spent a week down in Gretna, Louisiana, the town right across the Mississippi River from New Orleans, which has an extreme policing situation going on with high arrest rates, high fines, fees, and forfeitures. And so there's a mini documentary that we shot about that. We have a panel discussion with some very interesting figures that you might not expect to be in the same room. Uh, so that's on Nat Geo Monday, 10 p.m. Or, or in their app. Sleep, <laughs> eat well, dance. Be, uh, I would like to just echo uh, those things Raquel said. And as far as an organization, Mother Jones, uh, I think they've done heroic work during this election and before. They've put reporters undercover in private prisons. That's the type of free press the Constitution calls for. And so if you want to support democracy, that means you should also support the one job the Constitution explicitly calls out that isn't an elected official's position, and that is a free press. So please support Mother Jones or your own local version of something like that. And uh, that will close our recommendation section. That's all for today, everybody. Our producer is A.C. Valdez. Our research assistant and tech maven is Cody Carvel. Thanks also to Alana Milner, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. You can see its entire roster of wonderful podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. You can find links to all the amazing things, and there were so many amazing, amazing things we discussed today, on our website, showaboutrace.com. We've also got a phone number, so give us a call, 612-888-RACE. That is 612-888-RACE. If you'd like to email us or send a voice memo, much higher fidelity, our email address is showaboutrace at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow along with the conversation or join it yourself on Facebook or Twitter at Show About Race. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining our national conversation about conversations about race. On behalf of Anna, Raquel, and Fazilat, I'm Baratunde Thurston.